Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by Sam C., Cringy, Cindy S., and Corey S., unfucking insane level members of the show. Well, what does it mean to be unfucking insane? These are the highest monthly supporters of UNFTR that help keep the wheels turning around here. You don't have to be insane to support us, though, because we have several tiers of support from curious, committed, pro, to insane. And, of course, you can support the show and our partners from the Unkachog Nation by purchasing our native roasted coffee blends as well. For membership information, visit buymeacoffee.com UNFTR, and to purchase the real deal organic coffee, head over to unftr.com shop. I'm the show's producer, 99, joined as always by our engineer extraordinaire, Manny Faces. Manny, say something here. And here's your host, Max, with this week's Quickie. Howdy do on, fuckers. Doing a little Fox News check in this week's Quickie. The eyes have it today with this little interstitial interrogatory investigating invasion, immigration, and inflation along with an introduction of an inflammatory imbecile. For the uninitiated to the ways of unfuckers, these quickies allow us to weigh in on more current trends in between our larger unfuckings. In a way, it allows us to take what we've learned from prior episodes and apply it to the daily barrage of propaganda and media narratives. Oh, and we always do them in threes, because that's my lucky number. When the world is a mean and nasty little place, finding the truth can be a little tricky. Don't go punch yourself in the face, just listen to an unfucking quickie. We begin today with our first eye for invasion. Now, this quickie not only ties in some prior lessons, but it helps tee up a couple of future episodes as well, especially immigration and our fossil fuel dependency. For today, I landed on a quick take look at Fox News because I was recently transported through a wormhole into an alternate reality entirely designed by Rupert Murdoch and the Brain Trust at Fox News. And I had the strangest dream. We're we're losing him. Quick translation. Max went to Florida. It was magisterial. Once I went through the portal... LaGuardia Airport. I landed in a majestic world where the virus doesn't exist. Meaning no one was wearing a mask. Everyone was rooting for someone named Brandon, and Fox News was playing on every television. Ah, Max was visiting family. And what to my dream state self did appear but a vision from none other than fucker Carlson talking about war in Ukraine. So this country is now closer to a legitimate war than we have been in decades. And to be clear, we're talking about an actual war here, not a protracted series of airstrikes against some impoverished dirt patch they're telling you is an existential threat to the nation. Yeah, hold up. I must be in your fever dream with you. Is this motherfucker talking about not going to war? Indeed he is, Manny. But wait, it gets better. Look who he blames for getting us into war. The core problem is that in America, elected officials no longer decide when we go to war, as in, say, a democracy. Instead, bureaucrats, generals, and defense contractors make those decisions, sometimes unilaterally. I'm with Manny, a bit confused here. Did fucker Carlson just call it the private war machine? He did, and then doubles down on it. So the president of the United States is not allowed to talk in public about Russia. He has admitted that today. He might say something that averts war. So instead, the same people who've lost the last five wars get to speak for him. Do you feel safer? Is this you doing an impression of fucker Carlson? No, it's not. And check this out. He then goes after private contractor ties with sitting U.S. officials 
and talks about how the U.S. public has no appetite for this bullshit. Polls show that most Americans are completely opposed to fighting Russia over Ukraine because they're not demented. But you know who's very much in favor of it? Well, defense contractors, including Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin's former employer, Raytheon. For defense contractors, war means massive profits, by definition. In just the last few years, the U.S. has spent more than $2 billion on military aid to this nation called Ukraine that most people couldn't identify on a map. Just the other day, the administration announced $200 million more. So the Ukrainians love this, obviously. This is the whole reason they once employed Joe Biden's otherwise unemployable son. Okay, I give up. What are we doing here? Proving a point from the last two episodes and offering a teachable moment. There is a lesson here. Hmm, that a broken clock is right twice a day? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut? Leave the animals out of this. Not everything is about veganism, 99. Knock it off. There are three lessons here, my beloved co-conspirators. Unfuckers, subfuckers, eurofuckers, downunderfuckers, uncanuckers, pitchpack bottle, and swage fuckers. One, for your propaganda machine to be accepted, you must include elements of straight talk and truth to keep friends and enemies alike off balance. And two, this should strike a chord after our libertarian episodes. What Fucker is proffering here is very much in line with minarchist and paleo-libertarian thinking. Hey Manny, roll back the tape to part one of Libertarians Are Exhausting to review these two forms of libertarianism. Yep, I'm on it. Minarchism. Like anarcho-capitalists and libertarian socialists, minarchists believe that most functions currently served by the government should be served by smaller, non-government groups. At the same time, however, they believe that government is still needed to serve a few collective needs, such as military defense. I feel like most of the younger libertarian voices that you hear on college campuses or screaming at people on call-in shows can be classified as minarchists. And it's kind of weird, though, because they believe in creatures that have the head of a bull and the body of a man. And lastly, paleo-libertarianism. Paleo-libertarians differ from neo-libertarians in that they are isolationists who do not believe that the United States should become entangled in international affairs. They also tend to be suspicious of international coalitions such as the United Nations, liberal immigration policies, and other potential threats to cultural stability. The paleo comes from their practice of eating the flesh of social democrats. Point being, this is very much on brand, not only for certain strains of libertarianism, but also for Carlson. Earlier in his career, he joined the chorus of warmongers, but over the past several years, he's actually been a vocal critic of foreign interventions. But the larger point here is lesson number three, which is that this kind of straight talk helps make the other bullshit sound reasonable because it's coming from the same trusted source, a lesson as old as time, which teaches us... Ah, immigration. I should mention on fuckers that fuckers' stance on war does create a problem for the brass at Fox News and the Republican Party. He is that influential. So I'm not so obtuse as to refrain from giving some credit where it's due. By the same token, and with the paleo-libertarian head fake out of the way, here's the medicine after the sugar. And you've got to ask yourself as you watch the historic tragedy that is Joe Biden's immigration policy, what's the point of this? Nothing about it is an accident, obviously. It's intentional. Joe Biden did it on purpose. But why? 
Why would a president do this to his own country? No sane first world nation opens its borders to the world. Promising the poorest people on the planet that they can have endless free taxpayer funded services if they show up and break your laws? That's not just stupid, it's suicidal. Fucker has been pushing something called the Great Replacement Theory, whereby Democrats want to replace white Americans with brown immigrants. And he's done it so often that it's stuck. The big lie here being that people are streaming across the border to somehow obtain endless charitable government services, which no one who enters the country illegally is obviously entitled to receive. But this narrative is pervasive on Fox and other right-wing media outlets, as you can hear in this clip on Maria Bloahardo's show. We are in an invasion at this point here on our southwest border, and this administration is doing nothing to curb this. This is such an extraordinary situation. I mean, you just mentioned the remaining Mexico. So the administration enrolled 267 illegal migrants in the remaining Mexico program in December. The Trump era program was abolished as soon as President Biden took office. Then we had to hear from a federal judge to rule that it was unlawfully abandoned. The judge ordered the administration to restart it, Congresswoman. You know this. We all know this. They were very slow to actually put it in place. And I said on the air many times that my sources at the border were telling me they're not going to reinstitute Remain in Mexico. I'll believe it when I see it. And now we see that they are slow walking this. 267 people sent back to Remain in Mexico. Compare that to the 2 million people that were apprehended all last year and the 650,000 gotaways that were seen on surveillance cameras. How could they actually tell us that they're reinstituting Remain in Mexico when it was only 267 people? For a once reputable business reporter, Bloa Hardo is having some difficulty with numbers, but she's certainly on message. Two million apprehended just last year and 650,000 gotaways. This term gotaways has entered the lexicon to mean those who got away from Border Patrol. And aside from being a stupidly lazy term, it's also nearly impossible to predict this figure, but okay. Regardless, let's dig into the immigration numbers a bit to properly explain what's going on here, because Fox continues to run with the narrative of an out-of-control border from day one of the Biden administration, and there's frustratingly little counter-narrative available. First off, The number of those apprehended last year, meaning turned away from all entry points into the United States, was 1.5 million, according to federal officials, not 2 million. Still a pretty big number, though, right? But they're not all trying to sneak across the southern border. Most of them knock and are turned away like Jehovah's Witnesses. Border officials also point out that it's impossible to determine how many attempts were made by the same asylum and immigration seekers, so the absolute number is far less than this. What anti-immigration pundits should be celebrating is the fact that these people were denied entry, which indicates that the system is fucking working. So let's dispense with Blowahardo's fabricated 2 million number, the inflated 1.5 million figure that doesn't account for multiple attempts by the same people, and focus on the so-called gotaways and those who entered with our knowledge and overstayed. See, it's unclear where the 650,000 number comes from, but we do have actual data from the Census Bureau that teamed up with other agencies due to the pandemic to actually obtain one of the most realistic counts in recent years. James Risen of The Intercept recently reported that according to the joint agencies, quote, net international migration into the United States increased by just 247,000 people in 2021, the lowest annual level for any year since at least 2010. 
That's about half the number of people who came into the country between 2019 and 2020 during the Trump administration, when net international migration totaled 477,000. The 2021 figure was also far below the 1,049,000 who came into the U.S. between 2015 and 2016, the highest level for any year in that decade. End quote. In terms of direct impact on individual states, the report from the Census Bureau stated that, quote, Florida, Texas, New York, California, and Massachusetts typically gain the most migrants from abroad and comprise about half of NIM for the nation most years. And that, quote, all five of the states saw decreases in NIM between 2015 and 2021, including a nearly 50 percent drop from 2020 to 2021, end quote. And California, by the way, had the biggest drop from 148,000 in 2015 to 15,000 in 2021. So why such a huge disconnect? It seems implausible that Fox or anyone following this would get the numbers so incredibly wrong. Well, yes and no. True, they're playing fast and loose by rounding up preposterously and leaving out important details like multiple attempts by the same people. But they're able to paint a picture of a crisis by overexposing the same pictures of hotspots on the border where true illegal attempts are being made and showing them over and over again with an overlay of a really tenuous narrative. What's missing is one key ingredient that we'll cover in more detail in our immigration episode this year, and that's the concept of net migration. I've alluded to it before, and it's critical to understand. So let's do the math and unpack the equation that really matters in the immigration discussion. Foreign-born immigration less foreign-born emigration plus Puerto Rican migration plus net native-born immigrants equals net international migration, or NIM for short. So, one by one now. Foreign-born immigration is just what it says. The number of people that gained entry into the country from foreign nations. Legally, illegally, work visas, student visas, temporary agriculture visas, etc. Foreign-born emigration is the outflow, the number of people from those same categories who left the United States. Most of them probably saying, what the fuck was that? Net Puerto Rico migration is just that, the total increase or decrease to the Puerto Rican population. Net native-born immigrants are babies born to immigrants in the United States. Add them all up and you get net international migration, or NIM. So in raw, real, practical terms, we're talking about 247,000 people, or 0.06% of the total U.S. population. I understand that even one immigrant into the U.S. is simply too much for some people to handle. So let's switch gears and do our thing to put this into economic terms. Let's move over to the labor shortage narrative. But, but the truth is, you can't mandate work ethic. Work is a virtue. The dignity of work is central to our whole social fabric. Folks who work hard climb the ladder of opportunity. Folks that live off government welfare entitlements have no opportunity. Well, and then you have the pandemic regulations, and, and chief among them, I would say, for contributing to labor shortage are these vaccine mandates, because a lot of people just don't want to do it. So there's not to restate an actual shortage of American workers, citizens who could fill jobs. They're just telling you that so they can justify opening the borders and changing the electorate so they never lose another election and no one ever takes their power away. All of these chuckleheads out there looking for answers while trying to prop up false narratives about the economy and things like immigration. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Okay, here's the truth. 
Turns out 2021 saw the lowest population growth ever recorded in the United States. Let me repeat that. The lowest ever recorded. Lots of people died in this thing called a pandemic. And we had a lot fewer immigrants due to extremely low migration and immigration numbers, leaving low-wage jobs more vacant. Oh, and our economy has grown. Like a lot. 6.3% in the first quarter, 6.7% in the second, 2.3% in the third. And the numbers for the fourth quarter came out on the day we recorded this, landing at 1.7%, which equates to a total annualized growth rate of 5.7%, the largest expansion of our economy since 1984. Then there's the higher end of the spectrum, beyond low-wage jobs, because low immigration doesn't account for the total number of job openings. There's still a gap. This one we can hang on the boomers, as 3.5 million American seniors decided to finally retire this past year. Maybe they figured that greeting fuck-lipped, maskless hillbillies at the Walmart entrance wasn't worth catching a fucking deadly virus. I don't know. So just over 50% of those who decided not to return are seniors. The only demographic, by the way, to increase its participation rate after the Great Recession because people have to work longer due to the imbalance and inequality of our system. Total it up, and we have 1.5% below the participation rate prior to the pandemic and will probably catch up in 2022. In real numbers, absolute figures, we're talking about 1.7 million non-senior Americans not returning to a workforce of 162 million people. So that is 162 million, cosine of 1.7 million, a factor of 12 donuts, multiplied by the folds in Mitch McConnell's chin flap, and you get 1%. 1% of the workforce has yet to return to accept your shitty, fucking, menial, low-wage job. Stop blaming immigrants. Let's head back over to Fox to hear from Larry Kudlow, conservative commentator and former Trump appointee, to introduce our next I subject, inflation. Inflation is taxation without legislation. That quote, according to the great Nobel Prize winning Milton Friedman many years ago. Just a little reminder that while we're obsessed with pissing on Uncle Dick Noggin's grave, it's not without reason. He still inspires asshats all over the world to this day. Anyway, here's talking penis Stephen Miller to talk about every crisis Biden has created. The reality problem is an inflation crisis, an energy crisis, a jobs crisis, an Afghanistan crisis, a COVID crisis, and a southern border crisis, and now a supply chain crisis. The segment that he appeared on was supposed to be just about inflation, but this animated ghoul decided to conflate every issue under the sun with rising inflation. We'll zero in on it a bit more than Penis Miller and keep it on track. Remember back to our labor union episode when we talked about the concept of, quote, taking price? That was the artful way that the Kellogg CEO described their record profits. They took price. Well, Kellogg's wasn't the only one to do so. A Substack piece by Matt Stoller, a fellow at the Open Markets Institute, in which he dissects the inputs of real inflation, recently made the rounds in the media. Stoller was previously a senior policy advisor and budget analyst to the Senate Budget Committee, and he worked on policies like Dodd-Frank for the House prior to that. 
Stoller uses GDP to analyze the real inflation rate, and he calculated that the impact of inflation on the average American was around $4,700 in 2021. Then he benchmarked that against the increase in profits in corporate America to say, quote, Taking all of this together, it means that increased profits from corporate America comprise 44.7% of the inflationary increase in costs. That means corporate profits alone are absorbing a 3% inflation rate on all goods and services in America. 44.7% of 6.8% annual inflation, with all other factors causing the remaining 3.8% for a total inflation rate of 6.8%. In other words... Had corporate America kept the same average annual level of profits in 2021 as it did from 2012 to 2019 and passed on today's excess to consumers, the inflation rate would be 3.8%, not 6.8, end quote. Considering the normal inflation target of the Federal Reserve is typically around 2%, 3.8% inflation from non-corporate profit-taking sounds a little more tame. Stoller notes that Europe and Japan, for example, saw lower inflation as their corporations did not rake consumers over the coals in the same way that corporate America did. And as Stoller concludes, quote, if you take the pre-existing inflation rate in 2019 of 1.8% and back that out of the numbers, then it turns out that 60% of the increase in inflation is going to corporate profits, end quote. So to be clear on the math, what Stoller is demonstrating is that 1.8% inflation already existed, and corporations took 3% right to their bottom lines, leaving the real impact of government spending, if that's where you want to lay the blame, at around 2%. All told, that means that corporate profits were responsible for 60% of the total in real terms. So before we move on, we should be clear about the components of inflation because you'll hear a few different things bandied about in the media. There's the traditional CPI, which is the consumer price index, that some economists and media outlets prefer to report. But the downside of CPI when you're trying to measure inflation is that it includes the volatility of items like gasoline prices, which can swing wildly. Don't get me wrong, it's an important part of the equation because so many Americans are reliant upon gas for transportation and heating. CPI is also more narrow because it only accounts for prices in urban areas. The figure that most economists prefer to get a true sense of things on the ground is the PCE, or Personal Consumption Expenditures. PCE also has derivatives that can exclude food prices and strictly examine services like financial services, landscapers, and hairdressers, durable goods like vehicles, appliances, furniture, and non-durable goods like groceries, personal care products, and clothing. These are the areas that are more likely to be affected by supply chain issues, which do exist, as we've covered before. But again, as we mentioned in our labor episode, the supply chain issues didn't affect a large swath of the large consumer product companies like Kellogg's, who simply took price and blamed it on supply chain issues that they never really had. So did prices for everything increase? Yes. Taking the corporate greed piece out of the equation, which is 60% of that number and didn't need to happen... You're looking at key pocketbook areas like vehicles, furniture, home improvement items that absolutely felt the effects of supply chain shocks. And if you're looking at food, especially imported food and gasoline, these are very real items. I mean, pain at the gas pump is a very real thing for most Americans. Now, I know that our former president likes to promote that we've hit $7 at the pump. And I know this is going to come as a shock to many of you, but that's a lie. No, seriously? 
stop. He was the president. That's not possible. No, seriously, you guys, it's a lie. According to the EIA, the Energy Information Administration, the average price at the pump, as of this recording, is $3.23. U.S. gasoline futures are trending above $2.50 per gallon, which is what pushes the core price at the pump. And it's the highest it's been since 2014 because of supply concerns over the situation in Ukraine, primarily. The jump in prices in the summer months in 2021 until now is a reflection of constricted supply from OPEC and other oil-producing countries, including the United States. Let's head back over to Fox, where they ask former Bush advisor Carl Rove about the reasons behind high gas prices. Gas prices are up 61% since the time that he took office. Part of it is because of the overhang of the pandemic, but the other part of it is, is the anti-energy uh, actions that this administration has taken, uh, putting a halt on new leasing, uh, taking ANWR off the table, uh, you know, saying they're going to uh, have new taxes and regulations. And, and not only that, but th this whole thing is a kabuki. ANWR, regulations, taxes. Rove is calling bullshit and says the whole thing is bukkake. Kabuki. Whatever. No, not whatever. This is important. Kabuki. 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 Fine. The reason it's not kabuki is simple supply and demand. OPEC has actually cut supply from a high of 33 million barrels per day pre-pandemic to a low of 24 million this summer. Now it's back up to 28, but that is still constricted. The global supply follows suit from 83 million pre-pandemic to a low of 70 million this summer to where it is today, around 77 million. The U.S. hit a high of 13 million and is around 11.6 today. Nothing to do with ANWR, nothing to do with policy, regulations, or taxes. And by the way, the U.S. production cut was the smallest of them, so we don't have an issue making fucking oil and gas in this country. It's just supply and demand and the impact on pricing because oil producers all over the world are trying to also increase their profits and build a floor under their commodity. So if nothing else, this is a great primer on our upcoming oil episode, and I'm really excited for that one. And what is Aleppo? UNFTR. Lastly, before we close out on the quickie, I wanted to welcome the next generation of asshat to the Fox primetime schedule. Longtime dickbag and smarmy Bill O'Reilly wannabe, Jesse Waters, has his own big boy show, and I have to say, it looks pretty promising. Waters is known for his super douchey man-on-the-street interviews and has been a consistent presence over the years. And he made it through the Scientology-like gauntlet at Vox to turn him into a sarcastic, next-gen alien mouth breather. Here's the sign-off from his show to demonstrate that he can rattle off all of the Fox talking points in one sentence without concerning himself with details or even having a point. So this is a lesson. Whatever the corporate media tells you, it's probably just a sales pitch for a product they're making money from on the back end. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? China, Pfizer, Facebook, Ukraine, open borders. You follow the money and work back from there. We're putting it together. Turns out we're smarter than they think. China, Pfizer, Facebook, Ukraine, open borders. Well done, Jesse Waters. I am William Wallace. In the coming months, we're finally going to tackle some down-under fuckery. Thanks to my man and avid listener, Rafe Raff, I've got enough research to earn my PhD in Aussie politics. 
We're also going to tackle big ticket items like oil and gas, immigration, Hollywood and politics with some support from Unfucker Crin and a whole bunch more. We'll keep livening things up with current events in our quickies, and 99 and I are still toying with another quick take format to add some additional content to the feed. We're just making sure that we can handle the commitment, do it top notch, and ensure that the core episodes are still our priority. We're also going to be bringing in new pod love recommendations as we connect with other creators that we admire in the podosphere. And you know there'll always be outstanding recommendations like Pitchfork Economics, Straight White American Jesus, and David Packman. And all of this reminds me to remind you to continue supporting the show that took a chance on us and got us to where we are today. Best of the left. Please be sure to support their show if you're not already a member, because Jay has literally been at the center of the left podcast movement since the beginning. Before we head into show notes, I want to briefly reflect on where we are with UNFTR listeners. See, I feel like the past couple of months, we've really found our groove and our voice, and unfuckers have responded in a way that is really humbling. There's a special combination of things happening right now that I didn't fully anticipate. The first is the nature of discovery. As a writer, my best days are when I wind up in a totally different place than where I started or assumed I would end. This usually only happens, though, when you're really in a groove and seriously dialed in. I've experienced it a couple of times in my writing career, but never to such an extent as right now. And that's the power of research and reflection. The reason propaganda is so effective is because of what we outlined earlier in this quickie. Messaging has to be sensible and tangible enough to make the delivery of it feel right. Right? So if Tucker says something that really makes a lot of sense and is backed up like his anti-foreign intervention stance, it makes the other medicine so much easier to accept from the same source. So you can begin to slip bullshit through the back door and into the subconscious this way. It's why OAN just flamed out. It was too brash, too fake, too much. It's why Fox still reigns supreme. And because most of our media is consumed passively and people simply don't have time to do the work, there's a tendency to lock in on certain outlets and trust that they're doing it the right way, that they're doing the work. And that's why we rely so much on sourcing and take great pains to do the research and do the work. You need to know and trust that I'm thinking hard about this shit and making connections. And what has the writer in me so jubilant is exactly that. The synapses are all firing. The connections are real. And some really powerful themes are emerging from the work that we're doing together. And that's the other part of the equation that is just as powerful. The connection to the audience. Your comments and suggestions range from funny to brilliant. Not a week goes by where I don't sit back and say, holy fuck. See, I push because you push. 99 and Manny eat, sleep, and breathe this with me because they know that we're on to something special. Because of you. Because of your support. Our buddy Cam J, who recently became a member, reached out to say that he was shocked that we only had 99 members, which we mentioned because of 99, of course. And I was embarrassed for a second when I read that because I realized how podunk that probably made us sound. But honestly, for us, we're blown away that 99 people, and now it's even a few more, would support us on a monthly basis, giving the battle for your wallets and your attention. Now, every dollar does make a huge difference in offsetting the cost of production, and we're grateful for every member. Don't get me wrong. Every order of coffee and every message that comes our way is awesome. But the real power in this community is the heart. It's the desire to grow and learn and to share and to change the world. Like Nettie from Out of Gamey, fighting the powers that be on the street corner day after day, year after year. That kind of change the world mindset is pervasive in this community. And I'm just so fucking happy that we found one another. 
Between the beauty and power of discovery through writing and the connection between our team and this audience, my heart is truly full. Thank you again for coming on this journey with us, and I'll see you in show notes. Here endeth the heartfelt thanks. It's so much fun. Hey, 99. Hi, Max. Feeling a little sentimental today, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> I wonder why. Just because our community is so great? Yeah, they are fucking awesome. We have a lot to actually go. I mean, it's, you know, every week there's a lot to go through in show notes, but I felt like this week was a kind of a short week for some reason, and there's still so many great comments. And for the first time in a long time, I had the chance to go through show notes ahead of time, so... I think that's why I was uh, I was just so I don't know just very grateful to this audience for for giving us a shot and we had a we had a lot of great comments so let's get to them. Yeah. First off, our members, our brand new unfuckers, members to the show. Tom K is a member. He said so glad you did the episode on James Buchanan. So am I. What a fuck nugget. Lisbeth B. is also a member, said, After hours of listening to you while I drive across the country, I'm able to sit in a pilot truck stop somewhere in Indiana, log into your site, and join. I'm so excited. Wow, I hope we uh, I hope we kept you good company, Lisbeth, on your trip across the country. It is a beautiful country. Sometimes when you're moving through it at 80 miles an hour, it helps. But yes, it's a beautiful place. CamLaw16 is also a member, would love an episode on the parallels of the Beer Hall Putsch and lead up to fascist Germany, even Italy. And it, you see, this is this is the shit that I'm talking about. Yes, of course, there are so many parallels. Yeah, I think that's a really good suggestion, CamLaw, so thank you. Happy is now a member, and that makes me happy. My teenage self would not believe I'm a member of anything with fuck in the name, but hats off. And thanks to Best of the Left, of course, for leading me here. TC on Frizzle is also a member, said UNFTR for life. The Badger from the Black Corn Desert of IA is also a member, saying thanks to Best of the Left for sharing your address, studying modern monetary theory, and how would NFTs, Bitcoin, and other theoretical currency further cripple what is left of the U.S. government to act on behalf of citizens? Not the first Bitcoin or crypto question that we've gotten we got a lot more after the MMT episode because it really is like the big obvious question of what happens. And we're starting to see a couple of governments begin to suggest that crypto will be the official national currency. So this is real. I remember a long time ago, uh, this is a few years ago, a uh, financial analyst said, when you can pay your taxes in crypto, it's a real thing. And I think we're getting there a lot faster than certainly that person had indicated to me because he seemed to think that it was, you know, decades away. But as we know from Moore's Law, all this stuff happens really, really fast. So I have been brushing up on crypto and trying to understand the framework first of blockchain and then also crypto as it relates to modern monetary theory and just monetary policy as a whole. But I will be perfectly honest. And I think a lot of monetary theorists and economists are also wrestling with this idea of what a monetary system that is sort of disaggregated from the institutions that hold policy together, what that really is going to mean. But we do have a little bit of background on this because 
if you go back to the stuff that we were doing on uh, the Bretton Woods conference in 44, this is actually where Keynes was going. You know, so I, I, I kind of put myself through, I mean, I could never occupy a great mind like that, but I'm sure there are some writings that have some very surprising parallels in what Keynes was doing back then and what we're proposing in having a global currency that isn't controlled by any sort of central banking institutions. So as you could obviously imagine, when we get there, and we will, and it will be this year, there will be historical connections to it. We'll probably draw from Keynes. But this is one of the ones that I would want to reach out and get some external voices on to hear how they're thinking about it. Would love to speak to Stephanie Kelton about it. I know she's been pressed on it before and she's been asked about it, and it's still entirely too theoretical to really develop any sort of models around. But people are thinking about this, obviously, at a very high level, and I don't want to take it from the Goldmans and the Morgans of the world, and I don't want to take it from the fucking Winklevoss twins either. I want to take it from a really practical economic perspective and see what this might mean if we really set money free. Cam J. So you heard me mention Cam J before, and he had he did have a funny line in here. He said, I can't decide what's more pathetic, that you're totally baiting one of us to become the hundredth member or that you're not in the fucking realm of four digits. Um, Cam has, has been a serial unfucker and been with us for a long time uh, and is always, always rooting for us. So just Cam, want to let you know that I see you. And Cam also, by the way, came to us early, early on from Best of the Left. Jeannie C. is a member. I came for the Libertarian shows, but will happily support after the vegan episode. I am an army vet from a huge Irish Catholic family who made it to Harvard and Yale through scholarships and worked for the Department of Defense in Intelligence, Policy, and Research for 36 years, recently retired to Germany. And Jeannie C. is a member and loving what we do because she's a smart motherfucker. What's up in Germany, Jeannie? Sending lots of love stateside. Levi S. is now a member. You're fluent in all my languages, English, profanity, and sarcasm. Oh, thank you very much. Louis Z. bought five coffees to us and said kudos to the production skills of 99, the Phineas of podcasting. I love that reference. How do you feel about it? I did not understand it. What? <gasps> Unfuckers, this is a very big moment. In 99, if you edit this out of show notes, I'll kill you. Phineas. The brilliance behind Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish's brother. Oh, okay. I got that. I got that. Hey, I, I don't mean to manage it. Technically, I'm the one that... 99 is more of like the Danny Ruckuson and Brandon Goodman of the Eilish verse. Whatever. Anyway, doesn't matter. Go ahead. That's what I thought it was. I you got that before you got that. I thought that's what it was, but then... But when you got it, I... Sorry. Oh, hey, Henry. Henry's in yeah. my room and he's barking. Can you hear him? Henry. Sorry. What are you doing to Henry? He's just in bed, and then That's he got up and started barking. Shh. What? See, unfuckers, 99 professes to love kidding? animals so much, and she's clearly torturing this dog. Do you want to go? You want to go out my room? Yeah? All right. One second. Wow. What? I know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Are you okay? Nunfuckers should know this. What? This is a big outing. This is this is huge. Is that what you want? Okay. I'll leave my door open. You can come back in. I never would have figured her for an animal abuser. What? Listen to that poor dog. I don't want to hear it. 
really she's strangling me. it. Sorry. <laughs> My roommate is had to go home and uh so I'm <laughs> watching Henry. Watching watching or killing Henry. He was sleeping. Is he dead now? Did you kill him? No. I let him out into the living room and he got up and then just started yelling. I don't know why. <laughs> um what I was saying about Phineas is that that's what I thought it was, but then when you <laughs> No offense, when you understood it, I assumed it was something else. Because I didn't think you were like an Eilish head. Wow. Sorry, Just, wow. I was being age. I was being ageist. Yeah, you were. I apologize. I wish you were gay. What does that One mean? One of her hit songs? Come on! I'm a self-proclaimed Eilish noob. Okay. She's got the one that's like... I mean, that, you know, that... that you you are such a basic white girl. I can't even I can't even stand it right now. You only know like her hit, her yeah. one hit. I mean, I go deep. I go deep with Eilish. She's a vegan. Good for her. Good. I, you know what? I bet she doesn't do what strangle dogs like you just did. I was not strangling. This is him. theater of the mind. As far as anybody is concerned, if you're going to leave this in show notes, by the way, they're going to think that you were strangling that poor dog. Or that I just have a chihuahua. Yeah, let's move on. Who, by the way, real quick, mm-hmm. fun anecdote. For the holidays, I got him a DNA test, you know, a doggy DNA test. We were excited to find out what he was. And guess what he is? Guess. A German Shepherd. A hundred percent chihuahua. Ooh, that's a pretty refined lineage. There's a little graph and it shows like... This is what his, you know, his his mom is and his grandpa and whatever. So it's like a family tree, but it's just all Chihuahua pictures. Wow. <laughs> just like little icons of Chihuahuas. And I was like, I can't believe I spent $100 to find out that you're just a little bitchy Chihuahua. I've seen that ugly ass dog. And I think you should get your your honey dollars back. I think you should get he's that C-note back because that's some bullshit right there. He's so right cute. There. He's ugly. No, other way around. He's so ugly. He's cute. Um, I'm going to get back to show uh, notes. Fine. That's okay. If you're done with your murderous rage. Topic for consideration. How the Fed helped transfer wealth from the 99% to the 1% and maybe collaborate with Richard Wolf. Yes to all of it. Louis Z. Bring in the the high hard one, man. Bring in the heat. Dana bought five coffees and said, And what is Aleppo? Is never not funny. That is not a sentiment. Uh, I think we have this. Oh, Nathan. Nathan's going to bring it home in a second in our next comment. I agree with you, Dana, that there's something about that line that makes me giggle every single fucking time. And I'm sure it was even put into this episode. But we're going to get to uh, an alternate comment on that uh, shortly. Dana also said that Unfuck Your Afternoon is excellent, by the way. Of course it is. Because you've got Amy over at Native Coffee Traders loving Big Mama the Roaster. It's all good. Now, Nathan bought three coffees and said, my only feedback is that if you're going to try to win over libertarians, don't beat them up so much. You can argue that Gary Johnson's policies, and you make great points, but the overuse of beating him up for his Aleppo calf is not really fair. I know, Nathan, because you should know, my friend, that I'm a child and I can't let go of certain things like, I am William Wallace. And what is Aleppo? Um, But... No disrespect to him, the man, and I want to read this because Nathan has some really good points because what I hated about Gary Johnson was just basically all of his policies except for legalizing weed. But here's Nathan. Gary Johnson is an impressive individual that has climbed the tallest peak on all continents. He's also given back to others constantly. 
I really think the whole foray into the Libertarian Party was more of a push for a third way of thinking that is marriage to libertarian values. I appreciate that about Gary Johnson, the man. I will cede that territory to you, my friend Nathan, but I stand by the fact that- And what is Aleppo? It's just fucking funny. Now, Jay Roach bought five copies and said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Thank you. Thank you for that sentiment. Now, let's head over to uh, let's head over to Facebook. 99, what do you got? Jim M. said, These two podcast episodes could not be more timely. The reference books are important resources for any thoughtful voter to understand the long game of oligarchs. Bravo. And then Whiskey Daisy said, So did it work? Did we convince any libertarians to become Democrats? Let's put that out there. And why don't we ask the question, too, and see if anybody came over partly to our way of thinking or if they want to push back on us a little bit because we didn't get a lot of libertarian feedback. Uh, I shouldn't say that. We did get some people that said that they recognize a lot of the value of what we're saying. But it, I feel like in prior episodes, we've actually had more feedback from libertarian-leaning conservative uh, listeners who said, you got me on a couple of these things and, and I'm starting to think a little bit differently. I'm not so sure that we actually got a lot of that out of the libertarian episodes, ironically, right? Yeah, most of the feedback was just people making fun of libertarians. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> So everybody. perhaps we didn't get there just yet, but it's evergreen and we have time. All right. So next, Jeannie C. said, Outstanding Podcast. Thank you. And David K. shared some fun libertarian and Milton Friedman memes with us on our page. Appreciate it. Uh, do you want to take this next one? Knudsen said a fantabulous birthversary to Nettie McGee. I hope to hear Manny, 99, and Max sing happy birthday on an upcoming episode. You ready, guys? Here we go. Doing, are we doing 100%. this? 100%. And it's going to be uh, it, it, just Nettie, right? Dear Nettie. So, two, three. Sure. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Harmony. I'm doing harmony. Oh, you can't harmonize and not tell me. You're going up and oh, down all over sorry. the place. Okay, Mariah. Right. Okay, two, three. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nettie. Happy birthday to you. Can't wait to hear what what Manny does with that. Eesh. You forgot the the latter half of this, and it says perhaps a Max and Neil Young duet could be arranged. Oh uh, yeah. I think I manifested Neil Young into the news. I think you did too. I think you did I'm too. I'm Team Neil Young. I might have to to cancel my Spotify subscription. I'm not against Neil Young. I just told you that I just he just has I'm, a shitty I know, singing I'm, I'm voice. I'm talking in in the Neil Young v. Joe Rogan. Yes, yes, war. of course, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Team yeah. Neil. He had polio. <laughs> really. At age five. Fuck. And he said it was like super painful. And he remember he said he was like, I remember having fear of death as a child and thinking I was going to die at five. And so he doesn't take this shit. He doesn't take any shit. So he's like, Joe Rogan's a fucking misinformation machine. I'm, I don't want to be involved. And Spotify said, okay. And Spotify said, okay. As I said, Spotify. Listener responsibility. Stop listening to Rogan thinking yes. that it's news. It's not. You want to be entertained. Be entertained. It's entertaining to laugh at him, sure. That's it. Anyway, um, hopefully uh, Manny can auto-tune the fuck out of us, because I'm sure that was horrendous. Speak for yourself. Over on Twitter, Medic Mike said, the libertarians I know 
seem to have the ethos of, fuck you, I've got mine. <laughs> I think pretty fair. Dakota R. said, UNFTR pod, I love how you make Cheney sound like Hannibal Lecter. Thank you, Dakota R. I see you. Will Watkins. I am William Wallace. My go-to podcast. I listen to new episodes immediately when I see them. I love it. Charles H.B. said, great episode. Learned some new things about libertarianism and increased my antipathy towards most of the philosophy. Uh, Sasha Pye said, straight white Jesus. Thanks for the UNFTR pod wreck. And Sasha, welcome over from another really, really quality pod. And Grangerous Ideas said, the Libertarian Part 2 episode is possibly one of the most important pieces of revolutionary podcasting ever. Your rallying conclusion literally brought me to tears. Love deeper, fight harder. Bring on the democratic revolution. FMF, FRM. That was a little self-aggrandizing, I know, to read the whole thing, but God, I love that. What about over on that medium that you you would know more about? OnlyFans? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, mean, I got that. Let's go to Instagram, 99. Okay, so <laughs> the Punisher Wagon said... Brilliant. If civics were ever to be taught in schools again, your podcast should be a required curriculum. Can you imagine? Can. And then Finn Kingsman said, oh, I absolutely know the opening of this show, as in last week's, was just for me. I died instantly upon hearing your greatest, quote, accent yet. Thanks, Max. Another fantastic show. I don't know what accent I was doing in the beginning. Your sexy accent. Oh, hey now. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Brandy A., Said, just wanted to say how much I love your podcast. And you highlighted this part, so... Yes, I did. I don't... I don't... It's not me, but Brandy said, 99 is a goddess, and yes, many faces is always cracking me up. And Max, you honestly feel like an honorary uncle sharing your wit and wisdom with us. It's like, 99 is a goddess. Manny's so talented, and you old fuck. Thanks for passing <laughs> was, it along before you die. I was going to say, at least you didn't say grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ryan F., by the way, said, uh, it was part of my daily routine until I caught up on episodes. What an adjustment it was to finally having uh, finally having to start listening to music again on my rides to work. Thank you, Max99 and Manny, for putting in the work week after week. Well, Ryan, you are absolutely welcome. Why don't you let us know, by the way, what music you're listening to? A couple of emails that came in, by the way, uh, just as we close out here. We heard from our old friend, so great. To have our friend back in the fold. Peace slippery. Max, I checked out that straight white American Jesus pod where Amanda Moore goes undercover and holy shit, is that terrifying in a terrible way? Yes, unfuckers, if you haven't gone over to straight white American Jesus, you need to do so ASAP and check out that episode because it is fucking awful. Peace slippery, great to have you back in the fold. I know you never went away. You just acknowledged that you were just uh, laying back and chilling out, but we do love hearing from you. Uh, and then Ray Fraff, so this is actually, the emails here are greatest hits of uh, some of our deepest listeners, and I love it. Ray Fraff, who we are, by the way, going to dedicate the Down Under episode to, because Ray Fraff was unbelievable, said, I shared the veganism episode with a friend, and after reading the Substack essay, they said they'd switch back to more vegetarian meals from now on. Woo! And also said, the kicker for them was the point about the organic food businesses being eventually more profitable. I thought I would share this with you all. It's a minuscule victory, but I thought 99 would appreciate it. Do you appreciate that? Of course I do. And it's not minuscule at all. Every person counts and every person, you know, it's like a pyramid scheme. You recruit one person, then they recruit one. And then my downline is huge now. Your what? Downline. What's a downline? Everyone below me. Oh. So if you were above me, you'd be my upline. Hmm. And then if you were below me... You're my downline. Have you run a successful pyramid scheme before in 99? <laughs> uh, no comment. 
uh, on OnlyFans, maybe? Jesus. <laughs> You're getting very dark here. Uh, and then, ah, one of my favorite on Canuckers, Tricution. Hey, Trick. Said thank you again for all of your good work, my baby still. A year, and a, a year and a bit later, falls asleep to your voice, Max. Thought you'd get a kick out of that. I do get a kick out of that. You know I do, Trick. You got my trigger there. I'm a sucker for babies. And uh, Bobby McDee, I told you this is like a, this is like a, you know, hit after hit. Just a super lineup of super listeners. Bobby McDee said, The surname Coke is derived from the German for cook and is more properly pronounced cock rather than coke so imagine my amusement when you mentioned their buddy dick fink so i give you dick fink and the cock brothers with their number one album fuck everyone this is why bobby mcdee is a successful and world-renowned author love it uh tim p said would never have heard of out of gamey if it weren't for you and ftr and then shared a story about some shit that's going down in out of gamey and i'm finally pronouncing it correctly apparently instead of out of gamey and there's some union bullshit going on in uh, Out of Gamey. We haven't gotten to it yet, but we should actually cover that in uh, in a show notes coming up. Because that's some fucking bullshit. Do not mess. Do not mess with the good people of Out of Gamey. God damn it. Scott GL is talking about Robert Bork in the Libertarian episode. Said, forgot to mention he's also responsible for fucking up antitrust law. This is a really big point, by the way. His 1978 book, The Antitrust Paradox, was extremely influential and redefined the term monopoly so it was no longer about competition in the marketplace, but rather about what was best for consumers. This is such a fucking huge point, and I probably should have gone a lot deeper on it. Scott, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, and over on Substack, again, the hits keep on coming. Maria from what? Rico said, yay, Saturday. I feel like the SpongeBob meme every time I wake up on Saturday to a new UNFTR episode. And um, did we have, oh, and we had a couple of reviews. 99, what do we got? T-Man Turtix, I think that's how you would say it. Thanks to Straight White American Jesus podcast for sending me your way. Best find for me in a long time. And then Snail Powered, who I believe wrote in last week, they said, Raised conservative, a decade of military service, and now a half a decade as a laborer, and this podcast sums up my experiences. Great work. FMF, FRR, FJB? Yes, I highlighted that for a reason. You know what? John Bon Jovi? What did he do? <laughs> so, FJB. Fuck Joe Biden. I'm, I'm, I'm... On fuckers, you know I try to hold it together, and we're done with the episode. By the way, we're gonna we're gonna close out in a second. But just on this FJB, the reason I highlighted it and wanted to keep that in there is because you can really FRR and FJB. They're not dissimilar in my mind. I'm still so salty about how badly the DNC sidelined the candidate and the man, Bernie. The ideas of the progressive revolution that was coming like a freight train. Everything that the progressives stand for pulls so fucking high. Everything. Nobody wants to see this planet destroyed. Everybody wants everybody to have a fair shake. Most people aren't fucking, you know, shitheel racists. Like, most of America, when you, when you poll them for what they want, they want equity. They want fairness. They want us to succeed in the world without killing the planet. Like, it's just, it's still maddening to me that we settled 
on a man who is, and I'm. this is not being ageist, and I'm not trying to fall into this conservative trope. The man is not entirely in control of his cognitive faculties in the way that he once was. And by the fucking way, when he was, he was an asshole. Now, I know he's very good to the people that know him. He is an extraordinary family man. He is wonderful to the men and women in uniform. I mean, there's so much about Biden's career that was good. There's a lot more of it that was really fucking bad, right? He was there for all of it and he participated in fucking all of it. And just because he's a kinder, gentler version as an old man, who's still kind of prone to some gaffes and some, you know, whatever. He's losing it. And it's okay to say that. And fuck this guy for derailing the progressive agenda and going along with it and for having the safe choice at exactly the time that we needed to revolutionize everything or else we are going to re-usher in the potential for more fascist type of modeling in these candidates like fucking DeSantis and Abbott and all of the knockoffs of Trump that aren't even Trump. I mean, and they're worse because they're they're almost more presentable, but they're as stupid. And that makes them more dangerous in my mind because people knew that Trump needed a governor cap. He needed that. He, everybody knew he needed to be fucking controlled, even the fucking generals. And that's why he couldn't keep a chief of staff or anybody in his administration for longer than 10 seconds. It's because everybody knew that this fucking guy was a loose cannon. But when you get a guy who actually is a capable administrator for all of the wrong things, like a DeSantis in the White House, well, what the fuck are we going to do then? And it's because we didn't strike when the moment was right fucking there in front of us and pursue the progressive agenda at a time that the country desperately fucking needed it and it would have helped save the planet in the long run. Instead, it's all derailed. We got a spending bill passed, infrastructure bill that was half of what we fucking need over the next five to 10 years, and it's already, we've, we've explored that already, and the agenda is shut. It, it The door is fucking closed. They're not gonna get a single goddamn thing done from this point fucking forward because it's gonna be all about the midterms. So they're, what are they gonna do? They're gonna... They're going to rattle the sabers and talk about Ukraine to try and distract the electorate on that. you got to give fucker Carlson his due. All of the defense contractors are going to come swimming up behind them to make sure that we are fomenting, you know, discord in that region that has nothing to fucking do with us and never fucking has. There's nothing about that war or that fight that we need to participate in. And yet here we fucking go again because it's all they fucking know. The first people in line to hand out as much money as they fucking could to support this war effort was Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, because that's the leadership that we have. That's what we decided we were going to settle for. And that's why we need to occupy the cadaver that is the Democratic Party. There's no fucking time for a third party. We need to occupy the soulless, lifeless, blood-sucked-out cadaver of the Democratic Party with fresh progressive ideas and smart faces. Look at Ro Khanna, look at Ayanna Presley, look at Elon Omar, look at AOC, look at all of the great public officials that are, are coming up and they are leading the charge. And we can get this done. At the midterms, we need to, it should be a, a counter surprise 
to the prevailing wisdom that the conservatives are going to run roughshod over us. We should be primarying every fucking Democrat out there in hard left-leaning districts. That's how this starts. Don't go for the safe districts that are right on the line, the ones that are purple. You go at the hard left districts and you occupy it with progressives that can win these fucking elections because that's the way that the districts are drawn and we can get more of them in Congress so we can derail this fucking failed agenda of the Democratic Party or else we are going to lose it all. And it all comes back to hashtag FJB. Fuck Joe Biden for taking this job when he wasn't fit for it in the first fucking place and he wasn't at any fucking point in his entire fucking career. At no point. Fuck this guy. Wow. I had a tweet pulled up I was going to read to you. That, okay. the, in the, But then your rant kept going and I didn't know, you know, I didn't want to stop it. Uh, did you see him say that he's not trying to pull the country to the left? Or he said, quote, I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not a socialist. Yeah. I'm a mainstream Democrat. So he's yeah. saying it. It's not even, there's no hidden agenda. He is just that. Yeah, except that at the very end, in order to win Bernie over... With his little fake, tearful, you know, half Zoom call with Bernie on it. He's like, I got you, Bernie. And Bernie's like, I'll do the right thing. And he's like, okay. And Bernie's like, I'm, I'm going to be there haunting you the entire way, Joe. But I support you and the progressive ideas that are coming. He's like, okay, thanks so much. It means the world to me. And now go fuck yourself. That's what he basically told Bernie and everybody else that stands for anything important to move this agenda along with big, fresh, bold ideas that will actually help people out of poverty, feed the food insecure. Look at the child tax credit is fucking gone. It's gone. $250 a month for every child that you have in your, $250 to $300 a month for every child that you have in your house. It's fucking gone. The number of people, they said that they lifted 30 to 40% of Americans out of abject poverty. They fed food insecurity almost disappeared among children last year because of that $300 check. It's fucking gone. They couldn't even hold that. These fucking assholes. They blew it. You blew it! To quote De Niro from Copland, you blew it! Fucking unbelievable. As always, Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by Manny Faces Media. I offered you a chance to be a cop, and you blew it! The show is lovingly produced by the great and powerful 99. Fuck fucker Carlson. All hail Nettie. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Please visit TomMcGovern.com. And the show is hosted by Nunya and distributed by Bidness. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com slash unftr. And visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash unftrpod. Get some native roasted coffee at unftr.com slash shop. And read our essays on Substack at unftr.substack.com because it's always going to be free. And that one listener that didn't listen to the podcast but read everything on, on Substack actually became a vegetarian again because of it. So go over there. We're not going to charge for Substack, period. End of story. It's fucking free. I am all lit up today. I've had too much fucking coffee and I'm very, very agitated, 99. I know. I'm worried about your blood pressure. <laughs> Whew. But guess what? What? I love you and I'll see you next week. See you next week. Love you too. Peace out on fuckers. What's up, Manny? Yo, how you doing, Manny? Manny of the faces. Faces the mommy. Money faces. The many faces of money faces.
He's just in bed, and then he got up and started barking. Shh. What? I want to be vegan. What? I want to be a vegan dog.